0: This teaching series is coming to you from Bible Temple in Portland, Oregon.
1: All right, I'd like you to turn your Bibles tonight to uh, Genesis. Uh, Let's see. Um, We'll work backwards. We'll go from Hebrews first and then back to Genesis. Genesis. Look at Hebrews Chapter Eleven, and uh, we're going to read from verses, let's see, verse seventeen through to nineteen. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through to 19. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. All right, let's turn over to... Uh, Romans chapter 4, I'd like to read uh, two or three passages from the New Testament. Romans chapter 4, and we'll take from verse 16 on a little bit here. Romans 4, verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed,
0: not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before God whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be.
1: And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not
0: at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification.
1: Let's turn over to one other New Testament passage in the uh, Epistle of James. And we'll turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And we'll take from verse
0: 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works thou believest that there is one God thou doest well you're just like the devil the devils also believe and tremble
1: (laughs) that's what it says isn't it
0: another very nice equation thou believest there is one God thou doest well the devils also believe they tremble the amplified says the devils believe and tremble and their hair stands up on end you didn't know that demons had hair, did you? <laughs> now, you might think that's funny. Well, i better not tell you, but that's actual factual. You knew some things that went on in the Philippines a few years ago. Did anybody ever read that story where this girl was bitten by demons and had hair off the demons? You should know that demons can materialize. Anyway, that's, by the way, what did we get onto that for? Uh, Thou believest that there is one God, you're doing well, just like the devils. They also believe and tremble, and their hair stands up on end. (laughs) Very difficult for a bald man to say that. Um, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? (laughs) Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Okay, now let's go back to uh, the book of Genesis as we continue on our gems from Genesis. Now it's interesting in our study, particularly in the life of Abraham, we've looked at the call of Abraham, and then the revelation of Melchizedek to Abraham, Abraham's uh, intercession for Lot, and then the covenant of circumcision that we looked at last week. Tonight we want to look at Abraham in relation to his uh, son Isaac. And it's an interesting thing that the chapters that are given in Genesis to the life of Abraham Uh, As far as I know, every one of them are taken up by the New Testament writers, particularly by Paul. Now, every chapter, and I read to you uh, three passages, one from Romans, one from Hebrews, and one from uh, James, and practically every chapter and major event in the life of Abraham is taken up in the New Testament as being uh, typical and prophetical of something that was to take place uh, either in Christ or in the church. Now I want you to sort of look at the, with me tonight at a uh, panoramic view of some chapters here, and we're going to major on a couple of uh, two of the most important chapters here in relation to Abraham and Isaac. And that's chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23, and chapter 24. Let me just sort of um, draw
1: a diagram, sort of just to give you an idea where we uh, expect to go here.
0: Now, as I've said so many times in uh, taking the book of Genesis, we have uh, this pattern all the way through. The Old Testament becomes the type, although please remember when we say this, these things were never types to them. When Israel was passing through the Red Sea, they didn't say, oh, isn't this a marvelous type we're passing through? Let's grab a fish on the way out. You know, it wasn't a type to them. <laughs> With the Egyptians behind you and you know, the water's on either side of you. So, my, there's a marvelous type. I wish, I wish I wasn't last on the line. Hurry up, guys. Uh, it wasn't a type to them. It was history to them. But the historical now becomes typical and prophetical. So we go back to the historical uh, to see the typical import of this. So the Old Testament becomes the type and the shadow and the prophecy. And uh, so the New Testament becomes the anti-type and the substance and the fulfillment, the reality. So we have type and anti-type. Now, in the chapters that I've just mentioned here, we're going to look at, uh, just touch on some some of the major things here that I believe God sort of sets forth, that Abraham is the father of all who believe. In Genesis chapter 21 is the first chapter. We'll touch a major thing that happened there. And then in Genesis 22 then Genesis chapter 23 and then we come to Genesis 24 which we'll probably pick up next week now these chapters just run uh, in that order in my Bible anyway 21, 22, 23 follows 22 24 follows 23 and 22 and 21 that is very profound <laughs> uh, you may have to pass 40 days to get something like that but uh, <laughs> don't you believe me Nelson Now, the major event that takes uh, takes place here in Genesis chapter 21 is the birth of Isaac. The birth of Isaac. The birth of the uh, uh, Old Testament only begotten son. Now, let's just take up a few thoughts from this and we'll just touch on these chapters. Uh, The main one I want to look at is chapter 22. All right, Genesis chapter 21. As Romans has said... Abraham uh, does not consider his own body now dead. He doesn't consider Sarah's body, the deadness of Sarah's womb. Death is impressed upon his body. Death is stamped upon his body and the body of Sarah. Now, he's nearly 100 years of age, and I don't know, I don't know if the Bible gives Sarah's age. My wife said it did. I said, I'm sure it didn't because God... is very delicate about putting a woman's age in the Bible because he knew women were sensitive (laughs) about it. Um, So I don't know that her age is recorded. How would you like your age recorded in the Bible if you were a woman? All right, verse 1, So the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. So visitation. When death is stamped upon uh, Abraham's body and death is stamped upon the body of Sarah, There comes a visitation, and as Romans said, Abraham did not consider his own body now dead, nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, but he considered the Word of God. You cannot look at the promises of God and look at your own body at the same time, a body condition, a physical condition. So when Paul takes this up in this visitation, the Lord visited Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, for Sarah conceived... and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken unto him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Isaac, uh, Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God has commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his uh, son Isaac was born to him. Now, reminding you, you of what we've just read, Romans 4, He doesn't consider his own body now dead, nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Uh, What does he consider? He staggers not at the promise of God through unbelief, but strong in faith, giving glory to God, and he considered the Word. That's the thing. And you see, when God gave the promise to Abraham, God said to Abraham, I have made thee a father of many nations. Not I will, but I have. Because God counted the thing that wasn't done and that was done. God calls those things which be not as though they were. And that's why so much in the Word of God, and particularly in the New Testament, God says, I have made this, you are this, you are this. And you say, well, look at me. I'm not what he says I am. Well, God sees the finished product. He, He sees what we will be, not what we are. That's why he doesn't get discouraged. In other words, encourage us. See, so on God's part, he says, I have made thee a father. He counts the thing done. I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead. Abraham's body is dead. Sarah's uh, body is dead. And yet God is the one who quickens the dead. And he calls those things that are, uh, be not as though they were. And what's Abraham's response? Who against hope believed in hope that he might become. God says, I have made you a father of many nations. On Abraham's part, he says, uh, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. I have made you a father of many nations. I count the thing as done. But Abraham, who against hope believed in hope that he might become what God said he was. And that's where our faith comes in. And and then after it says that uh, this was imputed to him for righteousness, Paul goes on to say that it wasn't written for his sake alone, but it was written for us if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. And you see, the tremendous faith of Abraham has to do with faith in the resurrection. His body has the mark of death upon it. Sarah's body has the mark of death upon it. In due time, uh, he's going to offer Isaac and receive him from the dead in a figure. So death, death, death. Death on Father Abraham, death on Sarah, death on Isaac. The whole thing is stamped with death and Abraham confesses his faith in the God of the resurrection. Out of death would come life. So the whole thing is stamped with death. So in chapter 21 of uh, Genesis, we have the miraculous birth of Isaac who, as we read in Hebrews, is the Old Testament only begotten son. Now as I've said before, there are only two, Only begotten sons, Isaac of the Old Testament and Jesus of the New Testament. So the birth of Isaac, which was an absolute miracle, and we just touch on some of the main things here. His birth was a miracle. He's an only begotten son, so let's just put a couple of thoughts up here. Only begotten son, miracle birth out of barrenness. God brings to birth here. He is named before birth. Eight days before birth, he is named. The child is named, and then he uh, experiences what we saw last week the rite of circumcision, covenantal relationship. And so we have these details here. Now we can see how this points to the Lord Jesus Christ and the miraculous birth of Christ, who is the New Testament only begotten Son, miracle birth out of. Uh, the Virgin Mary named before his birth, Thou should call his name, Jesus, and Jesus is circumcised and, and is the covenant child, the covenant child in the strictest sense of the word. So Genesis chapter 21 foreshadows the birth of Isaac. It's interesting just uh, before we move on to chapter 22, um, verse 6, Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear me uh, here will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given uh, children suck, for I have borne him a son in his old age? And uh, it's interesting to go through these chapters, the emphasis on laughing. When God came to Abraham and told him that Sarah would have a son, he laughed. And then uh, Sarah was behind the tent door, we're told in chapter 18. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxed all, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then Sarah denied. She said, I didn't laugh. But she laughed in her heart. And so uh, Abraham laughed. His was the laugh of faith. Sarah laughed. Her was the laugh of unbelief, really, though she did end up believing God. And when Isaac is born, what's Isaac's name mean? Isaac's name means what? Laughter. Well, what do you expect when a laugh gets together with another laugh? All that can result is laughter, isn't it? How many are glad that Isaac's being born and you'll allowed a laugh in church and enjoy yourself? Amen? So when Mr. Laughter and Mrs. Laughter got together, they produced a laugh. Ha-ha. All right, so that's the uh, major event in Genesis chapter 21. Ishmael's cast out, but that's another subject. Now let's go to chapter 22, because the next thing that Hebrews picks up, so this is picked up in Romans 4. Chapter 21 is really picked up, uh, Genesis 21 is really picked up in Romans 4, where Paul goes back to this chapter and says, all right, Abraham's body was dead, uh, Sarah's body was dead, and yet out of that death came this miracle son, because Abraham believed in the God of the resurrection. And uh, he says, "If you believe in the God of resurrection as Abraham did, then it'll be imputed to you for righteousness. Now when we get to Genesis chapter 22, the next major event here, here is the birth of Isaac, and here we have the sacrifice of Isaac. And as Paul puts it, or the writer to the Hebrews, he says that Abraham offered up his only begotten son from whence he received him from the dead in a figure. So here we have the typical death and resurrection of the only begotten son, Isaac. Now we want to pick out some major thoughts here, so let's see the order here. Birth of the uh, only begotten son, death and resurrection of the only son. Uh, foreshadowing the Lord Jesus Christ Romans 4 and the Gospels so in the Gospels we have the uh, birth of the Lord Jesus Christ as the New Testament only begotten Son and in the Gospels we have the death and resurrection of the only begotten Son so Genesis chapter 21 and 22 are foreshadowing the Gospels from his birth to his death his miracle birth to his miracle death and resurrection so those two chapters are covering the Gospels there. Now I'd like you to look at a few of the major thoughts in Genesis chapter 22 here in relation to, to the sacrifice of this Old Testament begotten son. And remember what I've said so many times and I'll repeat it again. God gets men to do typically in the Old Testament what he himself is going to fulfill Actually. So it's like God the Father saying to Abraham the Father, I want you as the Father, Abraham, to do typically with your only begotten Son what I'm going to do as the Father with my only begotten Son. But you do it typically, I'll do it actually. So all through the Old Testament, this is just a hermeneutical and biblical principle, God getting men to do typically what he himself is going to fulfill actually. So uh, let's look at uh, chapter 22 in that light. All right, verse 1, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. The word tempt actually means put to test. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither doth he tempt any man. So he's not tempting Abraham to sin. He tested him. He put him to the test. Uh, It was the trial of faith. Enticed Abraham to obedience. And he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I, and he said, now, take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. So here we have an only begotten son, uh, a beloved son, just as God the Father. So remember what I've said, which will sort of uh, go back and forth here. God getting Abraham to do typically with his only begotten son what he's going to do actually with his only begotten son. So Isaac, the only begotten son of the o- Old Testament, and Jesus, the New Testament only begotten son. He said, take your only son whom you love. Abraham the father loved his only begotten son. God the father loves his only begotten son. And then he said, I want you to get in verse, uh, verse 2, get into the land of Moriah and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. So here we see the only begotten son, father and son, and he's to go to Mount Moriah a particular mountain and he was to offer this only begotten son upon the mountain in due time the temple of Solomon would be built there the temple of Solomon would arise on Mount Moriah on the basis of a sacrificed only begotten son but this is the foundation Mount Moriah it pointed in the New Testament to Mount Calvary where God the Father would offer His only begotten Son. So there was an appointed mountain for the death of this only begotten Son. So take take your only begotten Son, the one that you love, and go to Mount Moriah. Offer Him for a burnt offering. Not a sin offering or a trespass offering. That's not the thought here. A burnt offering. Leviticus chapter 1, the highest offering where everything was offered to the Lord except the skin which was given to the priest. So everything, all the inward parts, everything. When you go through the details of the burnt offering and all the uh, details being fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, so offer him for a burnt offering. The thought of the sin offering is not here or the trespass offering, but a burnt offering. Total consecration. Total consecration is the thought of the burnt offering. And so what is Abraham's response in verse 3? Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took, two of his young men with him. Two witnesses. Two witnesses. Abraham the father, his only begotten son Isaac, and two witnesses. Remember the two witnesses on the Mount of Transfiguration. So uh, he takes these two men and uh, Isaac his son, claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Verse 4, Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Three days' journey, father and son walking together, three days to the appointed mount. Jesus gave them the sign of three days. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the fish, So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Three days to an appointed mount. Three days walking to his death. Three days journey involved in Mount Calvary. So type and anti-type meeting here. And in verse 5, notice Abraham's confession of faith in the resurrection here. And Abraham said unto his young men, the two witnesses, you abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. That was his confession of faith in the resurrection. Because Abraham no doubt reasoned, well, if I offer this only begotten son, and yet God said, in Isaac shall thy seed be called, how can the promises of God be fulfilled unless God raises him from the dead? And so when he makes that uh, confession here to the two young men, those two witnesses, and says, we'll go and worship and come again to you, that was faith in the resurrection. And this act, in, according to James, the passage we read in James, this is where Abraham's faith was perfected. So the Bible, the Bible talks, uh, let, let's just uh, quote a verse here to you uh, from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse uh, 17 puts it this way. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And as you go through the total life story of Abraham, Abraham is the father of all who believe. He's a man who goes from faith to faith to faith to faith to faith. And James says this was perfect faith. Here his faith was perfected. Abraham reasoned on the basis of God's word. If God could do a miracle and bring out of my dead body and my wife's dead body a miracle son and a miracle birth, then God can do a miracle and raise him from the dead because he's the God of the resurrection. So I confess my faith in the resurrection here. Life comes out of death, my dead body, my wife's dead body. I confess my faith here. And once he received him from the dead in a figure, so it's a confession of faith in the resurrection. You know, these are beautiful stories, aren't they? But uh, I think, say if God told me to offer my son Mark. wonder if I'd be able to say that. wonder how many of us as fathers would be able to say that. Good to read in the Bible. Good story. Good preaching, good teaching. A boy to do it. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. So the only begotten son is carrying the wood upon which he's to be offered. And when they take Jesus, the only begotten son, They lay the wood of the cross upon him. He carries his own cross because that wood, that cross is going to be the altar that upholds him. So Isaac and Jesus, only begotten son, only begotten son, both carrying the wood of their own sacrifice. They laid it upon Isaac and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, the instruments of death and offering up and they went both of them together unity the unity of the father and the son both of them together and as they're on this three days journey Isaac spake to Abraham his father and he said my father and he said here am I my son and he said behold the fire and the wood but where is the lamb <coughs> for a burnt offering and Abraham said my son God will provide himself a lamb for burnt offering so they went both of them together you'll notice twice that's mentioned the unity of the Father and the Son, they went both of them together. And just as uh, Isaac and, and Abraham, the unity between the Father and the Son, tremendous demonstration of that unity between Jesus and the Father. I and my Father are one. I only do the things that my Father please, That uh, pleases my Father. There's absolute unity between the Father and the Son. And uh, someone, uh, an expositor, sort of played on verse 8 like this, that it could sort of read uh, several different ways. He says, Where is the Lamb for burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God. Or else, my son, a lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. This is my beloved son. My son, a lamb. Or else it could read, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Or else it could read, my son, God will provide himself. He himself will be the lamb. Right? And how beautiful it is that the New Testament opens up with the ministry of John the Baptist, and, uh, Isaac, the only begotten son of the Old Testament, has asked the question, where is the Lamb? Where is the Lamb? Where is the Lamb? When we come to the New Testament, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he answers Isaac's question. So the only begotten son of the Old Testament asks the question, my father, where is the Lamb? And when John the Baptist sees the New Testament the only begotten son coming, He said, Behold the Lamb. So John the Baptist really answers Isaac's Isaac's question. So the coming of the New Testament only begotten Son is the answer to the question of the only begotten Son here in the Old Testament. Where is the Lamb? Behold the Lamb of God and God the Father bursts to heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, a Lamb, my Son. Behold the Lamb of God, this is my beloved Son. My Son, God will provide Himself a Lamb, my Son a Lamb. They so can read it so many ways because the truth is there. So they went both of them together, unity. Then in verse 9, they came to the place which God told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, the cross, the altar that was to uphold the only begotten Son. Laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And so the cross of Calvary becomes that altar. the The uh, Hebrew meaning of the word altar means that which is lifted up, lifted up. And the cross, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So Calvary becomes the altar. The, the place of lifting up and yet calvary's cross was made of wood so the cross becomes the altar and the wooden cross that jesus is lifted up on just like the begotten son and so in verse 10 as abraham is stretches forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son the angel of the lord called unto him out of heaven and said abraham abraham and he said here am i And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Here we have the doctrine of substitution. Now we have quite a remarkable picture here. Because probably should have left a little bit of room here. But if we go back to Genesis 15, which we really skipped here in the previous class, but this is, this is what we see in uh, Abraham's experience. In Genesis 15, God tells Abraham to offer five offerings, five offerings. five specified offerings. But when we get to Genesis 22, God doesn't say offer five specified offerings, animal sacrifices. I want you now to offer a human sacrifice. And how remarkable this is, at, uh, at Mount Moriah, instead of offering the human sacrifice, the sacrifice of the only begotten son, he offers a ram, in the stead of his son an animal is offered in the stead of an only begotten son the doctrine of substitution substitutionary sacrifice but here's the point that God was trying to convey in the picture I believe five offerings, five offerings and once Abraham offered up Isaac his son in a figure, in a type and received him from the dead Abraham never offered another sacrifice after that What's it all foreshadowing? It's foreshadowing what God the Father would do as Abraham the Father did. Under the Levitical law, we have five offerings, five Levitical offerings. But once Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, is offered at Calvary, not typically, but actually, God never again accepts animal sacrifices. But you see at Mount Moriah it's reversed. Here an animal is offered in the stead of a son but on Mount Calvary the son is offered in the stead of animals. No wonder God says Abraham is my friend. No wonder Abraham becomes the father of all who believe because this was the supreme sacrifice to offer his only begotten son in a figure. But here as I said, an animal is offered in the stead of the sun but a it would be reversed the sun would be offered instead of animals now in verse 14 we have this remarkable uh, redemptive name something we like to sing about but we like to sing it when we talk about the offering but uh, verse 14 and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh which means what? the Lord will provide we like to sing that when we take up the offering. But uh, that name, that redemptive name was given on the basis of a sacrificed only begotten son. It cost Isaac, it cost Abraham, Isaac, it cost Abraham his only begotten son before the rede- revelation of that redemptive name. That's oh, nice to sing it on offerings and everything like that and every little need we have. But uh, if it cost us an only begotten son, maybe the redemptive name would mean more to us, do you think? So Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen, in the mount of the Lord what shall be seen? All right, I want you to go over to a uh, thought I mentioned, but let's just look at the scripture on it. Second Chronicles chapter 3, Second Chronicles chapter 3,
1: Uh, I'm going to read verses
0: 1 and 2. 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, where? In Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Orn and the Jebusite, and he began to build in the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. Now you think how remarkable this was because here in Genesis chapter 22 we have the typical death and resurrection of the only begotten son on Mount Moriah. And when uh, he offers the ram as the substitute, doctrine of substitution, substitutionary sacrifice, the Lord gives him this redemptive name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. But the rest of the verse says, in the mountain of the Lord it will be seen. What will be seen? God was looking down the corridors of time to the temple of Solomon because it was in Mount Moriah that the house of the Lord, Solomon's temple would be built. Now why did God choose Mount Moriah? Why did he choose that place for God's house, the temple to come up? Because you see, only upon the foundation of three days and three nights sacrifice and the death and resurrection of an only begotten son, only upon that foundation can the house of the Lord stand. So when he says, upon this rock I'll build my church, uh, that was to be built. And so the church is God's temple. can only arise out of the foundation of three days and three nights calvary and the sacrifice of an only begotten son. So Mount Moriah becomes the foundation for the temple. And what's God trying to communicate to us there? That Mount Calvary and the sacrifice of the New Testament on the begotten son becomes the foundation for the house of the Lord, the New Testament church. Only upon that foundation will God's house stand. Isn't that a tremendous picture? So when he says, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide in the mount of the Lord, it will be seen what would be seen? The temple of Solomon, God's house, upon that foundation. Foundation. All right, go back to Genesis. Just uh, a few more (laughs) moments here before time's up. So we have that redemptive name, Jehovah Jireh the Lord will provide, or in the Mount of the Lord it will be seen, the temple. John's Gospel puts it this way, John eight fifty six, if you're taking down scriptures, John eight fifty-six, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. When did Abraham rejoice to see Christ's day? All through here. Did he see Christ back here? He rejoiced to see my day. So even though he's under the old testament and the historical and typical He sees Christ's day. And I believe that Abraham is the father of all who believe. And the revelation that was given to him, oh, he saw the truth of it. The birth of my only begotten son is just a shadow of the seed. Christ, the seed of Abraham in the New Testament only begotten son. And when I offered my only begotten son up on on Mount Moriah after three days' journey and two witnesses and confessed my faith in the resurrection... I rejoice to see Christ day because God the Father is going to do what I've done, what he's got me to do. And he's going to offer his only begotten Son up on Calvary. And out of that, the church is going to arise, the seed of Abraham. No wonder he rejoiced to see Christ day. So he saw Christ day in his only begotten Son. He saw beyond his only begotten Son and through his only begotten Son to the New Testament, only begotten Son. Miracle birth miracle, death, and resurrection. Oh, I'd I'd like you to go over to, uh, well, let's just continue on here, verse 15 a little bit, and then we'll go over the New Testament. And uh, the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 6 where this is taken up. Uh, As I said, it's a very interesting study to go through. Every chapter on the life story of Abraham and put underneath, like under here, put the Old Testament chapters and put the New Testament references and see what Paul does with the total life story of Abraham why he is the father of all who believe. Hebrews chapter 6. Paul takes this up. Hebrews chapter 6. And verse 12. Hebrews 6 verse 12. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, and now he's quoting from Genesis 22. So it's on the basis of this sacrifice, the sacrifice of the only begotten Son that God now gives the oath of the covenant and the blessing of multiplicity of seed and uh, the victorious seed, thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and the, the seed that would bless all nations. That's on the basis of an only begotten son. He's typical death and resurrection. That's the only way it could be. So he says, uh, when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it or interposed himself by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us whither the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek and he goes back to Genesis 14 to Melchizedek and his visit to Abraham alright now let's go back to Genesis chapter 23 and 24 and then we'll pick this uh, next chapter up uh, in our section next week okay let's, uh, let's pull the picture together here Genesis chapter 21, the birth of Isaac, the only begotten son, the miracle birth, name before birth, uh, covenant relationship, foreshadowing the New Testament, the Gospels, the birth of Jesus, New Testament, only begotten son, his miracle birth, name before birth, covenant relationship with God the Father. Genesis 22, the typical death and resurrection of this only begotten son, this miracle son, human sacrifice, Animal sacrifices can never take away sin. It was man that sinned, must be a man that dies. Animal blood can never cleanse sin. Animal blood covers sin. Only human blood can cleanse sin. But it must be sinless human blood. So all this is shadowed forth here. So just as Abraham the father takes his son three days journey, has two witnesses to witness that resurrection on a particular amount, out of which the temple would arise. So in the New Testament, God the Father, three days' journey, two witnesses at the resurrection, two witnesses at the ascension, two witnesses on the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Calvary, actual death and resurrection out of which the church arises. So type and anti-type. Now what happens in Genesis chapter 23? In Genesis chapter 23, we have the death of Sarah. Sarah dies now Sarah is the mother she is the one who in her old age at the extremity of life brought this miracle son to birth and Sarah represents Judaism and after the miracle birth And the miracle death and resurrection of the only only begotten son, the New Testament only begotten son, that's the finish of Judaism. Then what do we come to, which we'll pick up next week, in Genesis chapter 24 now, the father sends his servant to get a bride for Isaac. Not a tremendous picture. The birth of Isaac the sacrifice of Isaac after the death of his mother, a bride for Isaac. What a tremendous picture. The miracle birth of Jesus, the miracle death and resurrection of Jesus, the death of Judaism as a religion, as far as God's concerned, the extremity of the old covenant age, and since then now, he's looking for a bride. For the only begotten son, that had that miracle birth and death resurrection. Next week we'll deal with the Bride of Christ. Come back next week for this exciting episode. Let's stand. None next week. No, I'm sorry, it's not next week. It'll be the following week. That's right. Thank you.